Christ Church, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, as we begin a new uh, evening series on uh, the Lord's uh, Prayer. I've entitled this, Lord, Teach Us uh, to Pray, uh, and of course, that is uh, what we are here to do, to learn how to pray, what we should pray, why we should pray, and what is the nature of prayer. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Uh, we'll look at verses 5 and following. Our Lord says in His Word, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's Word. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for this passage from the Sermon on the Mount preached by your Son, our Lord. And Father, as the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray in the parallel passage in Luke 6, uh, Father, we do ask you as well that you would teach us to pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. It's a familiar hymn to many of us. These words written by Joseph Scriven in 1855 remind us not only of the preciousness of knowing Jesus Christ, but also of the glorious privilege we have to carry everything to God in prayer, to boldly approach the throne of grace at any moment, at any time, and to pour out our hearts to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Thomas Watson states, quote, If God be our Father, we may go with cheerfulness to the throne of grace. Were a man to petition his enemy, there were little hope. But when a child petitions his father, he may hope with confidence to succeed. There are many things that we could say about prayer as we introduce this uh, series. Prayer, along with the word and sacraments, is a means by which we, as God's redeemed children, as his adopted sons and daughters, receive grace and blessing. We receive grace and blessing through prayer. It's a, prayer is a holy exercise 
of dependence upon our omnipotent Lord, a clear demonstration of childlike trust and sincere faith. As I mentioned earlier in my pastoral prayer, it is the impulse of the Christian to pray, to call upon God. It's an authentic response to all that God is and all that He has done for us. It is God's ordained means by which He sets in motion His sovereign decrees. Why pray if God already knows, and He does already know, as we read earlier, that there's no reason to heap up empty phrases. God knows what you're going to pray before you even pray it. So why pray? Well, because it is through prayer that God is pleased to put in motion His sovereign decrees. What a blessing that is to be a part of that glorious work. Through us, the Lord is working out His will through the prayers of His people. And prayer, in addition, is a mean. Conservative North American seminary who were preparing for ministry overseas were interviewed about their spiritual disciplines, interviewed to find out how spiritually prepared they were for their future work. As it turned out, only three of the 50 testified to having regular times of prayer. It's a fair question if a missionary is about to go on the field. Do you pray? If the answer is, well, not really or hardly ever, well, maybe there needs to be a rethinking of of the call. But sadly, this kind of prayerlessness is commonplace amongst American evangelicals. We must ask the question, why? Why is that? Well, Uh, I have thought of at least five reasons, Um, and uh, the first one is this. We are more concerned about building a prosperous and comfortable life than withdrawing near to God in prayer and living to advance His kingdom. We are prayerless because we are often worldly. And by the way, as I uh, work through these reasons for neglect of prayer, uh, I can say without any hesitation that every one of us in this room uh, will connect with these with these uh, reasons for neglect, myself included. Secondly, we are too often more concerned with our outward appearance than with the inward spiritual condition of our hearts. We will spend much time and money on how we appear, but spend little time before God's throne of grace and prayer. Thirdly, like the world, deep down we often think that prayer is really not that important. It's just not the best use of our time. It's uh, an activity for people who aren't as busy or important as we are. So our prayerlessness proves this. Fourthly, like the world, uh, we often live as if we were self-sufficient. We're good at doing this as rugged, individual, uh, sort of um, entrepreneurial Americans. We, we uh, pull up the bootstraps, we do it on our own, and we act as if we are self-sufficient until... God brings difficulties into our lives, then we, of course, begin uh, to pray more. Fifthly, we are prayerless because the devil knows that God uses prayer to both carry out his will and to transform our lives through sanctification. He does everything in his evil power to stop us from praying. He keeps us busy He keeps us self-reliant, and he keeps us spiritually superficial. The devil makes us question whether or not prayer, 
when it comes right down to it, is really all that necessary. I find sometimes in my own life that when I sit down for my devotions, I'll read my Bible for a long time. I may read a Christian biography or devotional, and then I'll realize I've only got like 30 seconds to pray. And um, I don't know if you've had that experience, but I find that happening to me uh, you know, regularly, and it's like, wow, I need to make more time for prayer. Even if I don't read, you know, that, that last that three pages of the book I was reading, I need to focus more on setting aside time uh, for prayer. But it's not just evangelical Americans who struggle to pray. In general, God's people everywhere have always struggled to pray, even the 12 disciples even the 12 disciples, on the eve of Christ's death. In his most difficult hour, they fell asleep after Christ asked them to watch and to pray. They fell asleep. We know that the disciples even asked Jesus and Luke, Lord, teach us to pray. And so we come to this, or Luke 11, Luke 11. And so we come to this new series on prayer, not to uh, despair over our deficiency in prayer, but to seek God and His Word unto how we can become more faithful to God in prayer as individuals, as families, as a church. Prayer is a means of grace. In our confession, uh, the means of grace are, uh, are categorized as the Word, the sacraments, and, and prayer. Uh, and in our confessional standards, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, and the larger and shorter catechisms, you have the Lord's Prayer as that which is expounded upon. Uh, it takes a central role. It has a central role in our Reformed piety. Prayer must be a consistent part of our lives. It certainly was in the early church and the ministry of the apostles, and we see it all over uh, the epistles of Paul. And uh, here are a few examples. Listen to Paul, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 3 through 5. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel until now. Romans 1, 9 and 10. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Colossians 1, 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And finally, in Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Again, prayer for the Christian is like, it's like breathing. It's the, it's, it's the reflex of the Christian life. It's what we do. It's what Christians do. We pray. And none of us pray enough. And we all know that we should be praying more, but it is the reflex. It's the impulse. I don't think one Christian will come up to me after the sermon and say, you know, Pastor, I think you're exaggerating a little bit. We really don't need to pray that much. No one's going to say it because we all know we need to pray more and more consistently and regularly and more biblically. It's what Christians do. It's our response to God. God 
speaks to us through his word, and if that's all that's happening, then we are not Christians because Christians respond by faith to the word. And what is our response? It's called prayer. Well, pastor, we sing. Well, yes, we do sing. You know what singing is? It's sung prayers. Singing is prayer. It's just sung rather than said. And so God speaks to us. We respond to him through prayer. But we want to know how to pray. We want to know what to pray. We want our prayer lives to always be enriched and to grow. Uh, prayer uh, needs to be a part of our, our church, uh, our, our, our home lives, our relationships. Uh, really, as you look back on your day every night and you examine your day, you evaluate your day, you should ask, how much have I prayed today? How much have I prayed to the Lord? How much have I prayed for others? Uh, have you taken opportunities to do that? Um, it's something we should all be asking uh, ourselves. And if you think about it, if you're, if you're spending time with the Lord regularly, uh, personally, and you're praying, there's, there's a good amount of prayer. And then if you're praying together as a family, there's a good amount of prayer. If you're praying with your spouse, there's a good amount of prayer. If you're, if you're checking up on people and calling them when they're going through a hard time and you, you don't just say, hey, I'll pray for you, but but you actually pray for them right there on the phone. There's prayer. If you're coming to church, to the prayer meeting, there's lots of prayers. If you're coming to morning and evening worship, you're hearing pastoral prayers, you're engaging in those prayers. And so that's a lot of prayer. And it, and it needs to be um, for our Christian lives to be, to be healthy. So this evening, we begin a new series on the Lord's Prayer, perhaps the most famous prayer in the history of the world. This is a prayer for the ages. And as we look at our Lord Jesus Christ, who preached this Sermon on the Mount, he was certainly a man of prayer. He was the consummate Christian. He was the ultimate quintessential Christian, as it were. Jesus Christ, the God-man, the perfect man, the perfect model of piety and prayer. And he stayed in constant fellowship with his heavenly Father, he is a model of faithfulness in prayer, but Christ goes beyond just being a good example of someone who faithfully prays. He also provides us with a model for prayer, to help us pray kingdom-minded prayers, which isn't always easy for us to do, since too often we are self-absorbed and cluttered with worldly cares. Thomas Watson calls the Lord's Prayer, quote, a heap of massive gold, he says that, quote, as the moral law was written with the finger of God, so this prayer was dropped from the lips of the Son of God, unquote. But it's not only the Lord's Prayer, is it, that we receive a model for prayer. I wanted to make this point uh, tonight. Uh, how do we best learn how to pray? Well, we best learn how to pray uh, from the best manual for prayer, and that is the Word uh, of God, the Word of God, the Bible. Uh, praying the Lord's Prayer and in other prayers of Scripture is an act of devotion and sincere piety unto God. The Lord's Prayer, as well as other prayers in Scripture, such as the Psalms and the prayers of Paul, provide us with substance, objectivity, clarity, and direction in our prayers. Indeed, they supply us with the very words that God would have us to pray so that we keep our priorities straight, so that we keep seeking first the kingdom of God. 
when the Word of God is informing our prayers, then His Word is being echoed back to God, and He is carrying out His will through our prayers. How often do our spontaneous prayers lack substance and true kingdom focus? One uh, uh, Lutheran writer states that the Lord's Prayer is a gift and that it, quote, frees Christians from the tyranny of spiritual creativity and allows us to rest in the confidence of something certain and true. He goes on to say, instead of fabricating something snappy to garner God's attention, Jesus would have us lose all such originality and simply plagiarize. That's right. Pastor John is encouraging you to plagiarize tonight as it concerns your prayer life. Our prayers are rich when they are filled with the Word of God and allusions to the Word of God. And we ought to see these things as important for our own lives and our own prayers. He, he later writes this, quote, When we take God's Word and make them our own, we actually are praying for what's best for ourselves. End quote. Beloved, again, this is not only true for the Lord's Prayer, but for the inspired prayers of Paul. For instance, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, but also the Psalms of David and in other parts of Scripture. So when the Word of God and allusions to the Word of God constitute the meat of our prayers, we become more God-centered and kingdom-focused in our prayers and lives rather than man-centered and this world-focused. And so how do you do that? You may think, well, what's a practical way? Well, a practical way is, you know, if you keep a journal, uh, you know, read through the Psalms and begin to incorporate the language of the Psalms into your own prayers. Go to Paul's prayers in Philippians and Ephesians and begin to incorporate that language into your prayers as a family, as an individual. When you gather for prayer meetings, this is uh, what will enrich and strengthen our prayer lives. And it will keep us as well from being uber repetitive uh, in our prayers. There is a fairly uh, well-known Latin phrase. I mentioned it uh, on Tuesday evening in, in our 20-somethings uh, group at the house. It's this, Lex orandi, Lex credendi. Lex orandi, Lex credendi. Or the law of praying is the law of believing. In other words, as you pray, so you believe. As you pray, so you believe. You can learn a lot about what someone believes about God by listening to their prayers. You can learn a lot about a church, about what they believe about God by coming to a worship service. And so we want our prayers to reflect that which we believe. And so the Word of God informs our prayers as well as our, our confession of faith. Not only that, the form of prayer actually reinforces the gospel. The form of prayer reinforces the gospel. How so? Well, think about it. Who are we told to pray to by our Lord Jesus Christ? This is how you should pray. Our what? Our Father. And so while it is not somehow spiritually illegal to pray to Jesus... The ordinary way in which we approach God, the common way, the regular way, is to pray to our Heavenly Father. Through the mediation of the Son, by the enablement of the Holy Spirit, we pray in a Trinitarian fashion. And it's that very prayer, 
praying to the Father through the mediation of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit that actually reinforces the gospel every time we pray. How so? Well, the Father sent the Son to be our mediator. And our prayers uh, wouldn't be heard, as it were, apart from the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why we pray in Jesus' name, because we know that we can't rush into the presence of the Father without a mediator. We come into the presence of the Father. We, we go to the throne of grace through the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ and only by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. And so we have the Father who sends the Son and the Father and the Son who send the Spirit. And there's no way that we could even pray biblical prayers or prayers of faith apart from God's grace and His work of redemption in our lives. The Father sending the Son to be our mediator. The Father and the Son sending the Spirit to empower us and to make us alive in Christ. And so we pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. So what we believe about God comes through in our prayers, and our prayers shape what we believe about God and what's most important to us. So our Lord Jesus provides us with a prayer that keeps our attention on the right things, and it's not a comprehensive prayer. Uh, Of course, I've mentioned other parts of Scripture. We don't just pray the Lord's Prayer and that's it. This is where a hyper-liturgical approach to worship can be detrimental in that there may be those liturgies where all you do is pray the Lord's Prayer, and that's it. You know, it's kind of like the, common, the Lutheran common table prayer that I prayed a lot growing up. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let these gifts to us be blessed. Amen. Okay, it's a nice little jingle prayer. But if that's the only thing you repeat... Every time you sit down at the dinner table, what is that saying? I mean, do you talk to your spouse like that? Do you talk to your kid? I mean, do you say the same exact thing to your spouse every time you see them? The same, like, 14 words? That would be ridiculous. And why is that? Because you're in a relationship with them. You're in a relationship with them. And there's more to say than a few phrases, which is something that Jesus is getting at earlier on. He said the Gentiles are the ones that heap up empty phrases and just repeat things. Oh, no. The Lord's Prayer is a skeleton and a structure to guide our prayers, to teach us how to pray, but it's not comprehensive, as it were. It's that which guides us and is very important uh, as we unpack it over the next few weeks. So our Lord Jesus provides us with a prayer that keeps our attention on the right things, on the glory and majesty of God, His blessed kingdom, and our utter dependence upon Him for our physical and spiritual needs. In the parallel passage to our text in Luke, uh, it it says this, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And so first of all, we see in this parallel passage that that Jesus was committed to prayer. He was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples asked him, uh, how can we pray? Teach us to pray. And how grateful we should be that this question was both asked and answered. For how often do we all feel at a loss in our prayer lives? That is, at a loss for what to say 
how to say it or how many times to say it. Richard Pratt, uh, one of my uh, Old Testament professors in seminary, uh, in his book, Pray With Your Eyes Open, explains this, quote, Many Christians experience frustration in their prayer lives. New believers, mature Christians, pastors, famous evangelists, no group is exempt. Many great leaders would be embarrassed to admit their lack of success with prayer. And so it is with, for most of us. We know that prayer is one of the greatest blessings God offers, but we also know that it is a source of frustration and guilt. Stories that tell of dramatic answers to prayer set our hearts yearning for the same. A life filled with prayer is a life of great blessing, but such fulfillment seems to come only to a few, end quote. It's true, isn't it? It's true for all of us. And so I would like to repeat that the things we are discussing, the impediments to prayer, the struggle to pray, the frustrations of our prayer lives, just know that we are having these things in common as God's people, and we need to encourage one another. And one of the greatest ways we can encourage one another is to pray and to model prayer in our homes, in our relationships, in our church. I pray that our prayer meeting would grow on Sunday mornings, knowing uh, that some there are impediments to many families being here, uh, not least a bunch of little ones uh, that are busy. Uh, but to have more people attending the prayer meeting and calling upon the name of the Lord on Sunday mornings uh, is something that I long uh, to see as your pastor. But here, Christ gives us a model prayer and afterwards some teaching on how to approach God in prayer. Uh, and we should familiarize ourselves uh, with this prayer. Again, um, the, the, our catechism gives attention to this. Westminster Larger Catechism 186 asks this, What rule hath God given for our direction in the duty of prayer? The answer, the whole word of God is of use to direct us in the duty of prayer. But the special rule of direction is the form of prayer which our Savior taught His disciples, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. And so over the next several weeks, we will unpack the meaning of this prayer from the humble approach to our Heavenly Father to the six petitions found in this prayer. Again, it begins, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, an approach of reverence and respect, love to a heavenly Father. We don't just pray God, we pray Father because we are in that relationship with Him by grace through faith. And the six petitions, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. And finally, deliver us from evil. Beloved, we're going to examine each of these six petitions in our Lord's model prayer. For it's important that we don't just recite these things. We must also understand them and believe them and live by God's grace in response to them. And so I want to close this evening with a wonderful word from Thomas Brooks. Quote, Oh, how strong in grace, 
Oh, how victorious over sin. Oh, how dead to the world. Oh, how alive to Christ. Oh, how fit to live. Oh, how prepared to die might many a Christian have been had they been but more frequent, serious, and conscientious in the discharge of prayer. Amen. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your words and for this prayer for the ages. And we ask, Lord, that as we unpack this prayer over the next several weeks and each of its petitions, uh, that you would be pleased to impress upon us not only the importance of prayer, but informing our hearts of how to pray, to enrich our prayers, that we might have sweeter communion with you, our blessed God and Father, through the mediation of your Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll invite you, dear ones, to please stand as we sing together, I 